You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Talos and others warn of DNS Messenger, a dangerous and evasive rat. DDoS hits Luxembourg government sites and remains a threat to businesses. The U.S. is said to be running a cyber campaign against North Korea's ballistic missile program. The U.S. Defense Science Board releases its report on cyber deterrence. Mutual recriminations over allegations of election season campaign surveillance are swirling in the U.S. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 6, 2017. Cisco's Talos Research Unit describes DNS Messenger, an evasive remote access trojan that avoids detection by pulling malicious PowerShell commands stored in DNS text records. As so often happens, victims were infected by enabling macros in a bad Word document. Such in-memory malware can be difficult to detect and counter once it establishes itself. Enterprises are being urged to look to their DNS defenses. The Asia-Pacific Network Information Center's chief scientist calls failure to secure DNS pathetic and savage ignorance. Government services in Luxembourg sustained a protracted distributed denial-of-service attack last week. The actors and any motives remain unknown. Before this incident, DDoS attacks against the country have largely affected financial trading platforms. Luxembourg is a more significant economic player than its 999 square miles might lead one to imagine, if one tended to overvalue physical size, an error that can be too easy to fall for in other cases as well. Consider Singapore, for example, which comes in at just shy of 278 square miles, but also disposes of considerable technical sophistication. The city-state is upgrading its already capable cyber defenses as it becomes a target in regional cyber espionage campaigns. DDoS has become effectively a commodity form of attack as resistant to suppression as any other endemic form of crime. The stressor services, for example, taken down with Hack Forum late last year, are back and being actively traded on the black market. Many businesses are convinced that their rivals are behind denial-of-service attacks on their networks, according to a survey published by Kaspersky Labs. Business rivalry, indeed, in the surprisingly cutthroat world of Minecraft services, may have been the motive behind the earlier forms of the Mirai IoT botnet. In the U.S., an ongoing cyber offensive designed to impede North Korean missile development is revealed. Ordered by President Obama, it seems likely to continue under President Trump. 
The campaign aimed at what the New York Times described as cyber and electronic strikes against North Korea's missile program in hopes of sabotaging test launches in their opening seconds. There have certainly been test failures as well as successes in North Korea's recent program. How many of the failures can be attributed to American interference is unclear. The Defense Science Board's Task Force on Cyber Deterrence has publicly released its final report. The report offers a standard definition of deterrence and notes the hesitant and incremental way in which U.S. deterrence has so far evolved. Part of the difficulty in developing an effective deterrent lies in different adversaries, very different sensibilities and susceptibilities. Major powers, minor powers, and non-state actors make distinctive risk calculations, so no single form of retaliation is likely to dissuade all possible threat actors. The principles the task force argues should inform cyber policy are familiar from other earlier forms of deterrence. A mix of denial, that is, defenses that would reduce vulnerabilities and dissuade attacks by convincing adversaries of their futility, and cost imposition, the credible, assured prospect of retaliation that would impose unacceptable costs on an attacker. The task force discounts cyber arms control as not viable in the real world, although it does see some utility in what it characterizes as rules of the road in cyberspace. In this respect, cyber weapons are more difficult to contain than nuclear weapons. They're relatively easy to acquire, they don't take a large industrial plant to develop or produce, and they are also easy to deliver. Among the more interesting recommendations in the report are its fairly hawkish calls for more work on credible cyber offensive capabilities, with the clear understanding that such capabilities should be pushed into U.S. combatant commands and not necessarily held at a national level. The task force recommends that priority be given to hardening strategic strike capabilities. The report envisions an extensive technology scouting program to find new, more capable ways of achieving cyber resilience, and it also advocates establishing technology accelerators to prompt development among such lines. Another key recommendation is easy to state but hard to implement. Develop effective, reliable means of attribution. The task force sees three areas in which work could improve attribution. First, improving identification and authentication of the users of our systems. Next, sharing situational awareness between adjacent systems. And finally, conducting behavioral analysis, tying actions to actors, rather than just depending upon transaction analysis, looking principally at tripwire events. These, at least, suggest the lines along which future development might proceed. A great deal of that work remains to be done. Over the weekend, U.S. President Trump said that his predecessor engaged in surveillance of the Trump presidential campaign. The former president's spokespeople retort that any surveillance would have been pursuant to FISA warrants. So there's a great deal of mutual hollering about a second Watergate, with the two sides disagreeing over who exactly was the Nixon figure this time around. The president's partisans argue that the surveillance was either entirely illegal or, at best, an illegitimate exploitation of the FISA process for a political end. The former president's partisans retort, essentially, that no one could actually abuse FISA, and that if there was surveillance, then there was lots of smoke that convinced the judges that there was probable cause of some espionage fire. Despite the predictable degree to which minds appear to be made up, this story is, as they say, developing. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. 
Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, where he also heads up Unit 42. That's their threat intelligence team. Uh, Rick, you and I have talked about uh, orchestration before, security orchestration. Uh, but you wanted to take a little time today to give us a little background, a uh, little uh, idea of how we got to where we are today. Sure, I'd love to do that. Uh, as you know, uh, automatic orchestration is this idea with all the security tools that we have deployed in our environments. How can we automate the process converting newly discovered indicators of compromise into new prevention and detection controls across all the tools, especially since most of us use a different vendor for each of those tools. And you know what? Security vendors don't like to talk to each other. So in order to understand how we got to this problem, it's useful to go back in history a little bit. And when I started doing this back in the 1990s, the, the prevailing security philosophy was something called defense in depth. You've heard of this deploying multiple defensive controls in front of the adversary in an effort to stop the adversary's advance. Now, the military has been using this idea forever, and some say uh, since the time of the Romans. The nuclear facility architects have been using that same idea to build their structures since the 1960s. I was uh, curious about who came up with the term for using it in cybersecurity space. So I looked around, looked around, couldn't find the source. So I put the question out on social media and said, anybody know who came up with the idea of defense in depth for um, network defenders? All the military people came out of the woodworks and said they had captured that phrase in their doctrine in the early 2000s. But I knew that was too late. So I kept looking. I finally found a paper written in 1991 hmm. by a malware researcher named Fred Cohen. Now, 
in this paper, he didn't say that he invented the idea. He just said that network defenders should be using the, the concept. So it didn't really prove that he was the originator, and but I couldn't find anything else. So I got fed up and I called him. I said, hey, Fred, are you the guy that invented? I know, network defense or defense in depth for us. And he said, no, no, no. He, he said, did, who is this and how did you get my number? <laughs> I have a stalker. <laughs> he said, no, he wasn't the guy that invented it, but he was probably the guy that wrote it first wrote it down in a paper. So there you go. I'm giving him credit. Fred Cohen is the guy that invented defense in depth. All right, so um, I'm sure he'll be amazed that I've done that for him. So defense and depth worked great in the 1990s. But, you know, as the adversary matured, it, it started to not work so well. The bad guys regularly found ways to sneak through the seams. And so, but it was the only philosophy we all had, so we all still used it. That changed back in 2010. You know, Lockheed Martin published their now famous kill chain paper, and that really disrupted the, uh, the entire industry. Mm. And I always assumed that Kill Chain came from the Lockheed Martin guys, but I found out that that is not true. Okay, They are not the ones that originated the phrase. It comes from a guy, uh, Air Force General by the name of John Jumper. Uh, and, and the reason he came up with the phrase was, uh, do you remember back in the Gulf War, what we were all worried about, the first Gulf War now? It was the Iraqi Scud missiles. Right. Right. Saddam Hussein was launching these things into civilian populations and the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy had a really difficult time finding them and destroying them before Saddam Hussein could launch them. So after the war, General Jumper was given the task to fix this problem. So he told his staff on the Air Force that we need to be much more quicker at finding targets on the battlefield and destroying them. He told his staff that he needed to get this reduce the kill chain. From weeks down to minutes, all right? Mm -hmm. So he's the guy, right? So when Lockheed Martin wrote their paper, they took the idea from the Air Force and it tried to apply it to cyberspace. So, like I said, the paper revolutionized the industry. In the old defense in depth days, uh, we people like me, network defenders, you know, we managed, you know, three to four tools. But in the post-kill chain paper days, Small organizations, I mean small businesses, right, typically have 10 to 15 tools deployed. Medium-sized organizations have 50 to 60 tools. And large organizations, you know, like the Goldman Sachs of the world, they have over 150. And, oh, by the way, nobody's InfoSec staffs increased. The staffs are the same size. <laughs> so the result is that most organizations do not have time to correctly manage all the tools that they have. And the network defenders have started to demand from their vendors that we manage the orchestration for them. So the whole point of this is the reason we need orchestration is because we're trying to fix the problem we caused ourselves when we all said that the kill chain was the right philosophy to adopt. All right. All that and a little history professor thrown in there, huh, Rick? <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks for joining us, as always. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. 
And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.